You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel as written to us by Luke. Now, before I even start reading, let me admit that this passage is a bunch of thrown again, thrown together passages about money, of all things. Because I think Luke knows, as Jesus knew, most of us, and I bet I can say it about every one of you in this room, myself included, have a confused, guilt-ridden, obsessive (laughs) attitude about money. There's hardly anybody who can think clear-headed about it. Now, as I first read it, you're going to think, well, this isn't very helpful. (laughs) But let's try to make it helpful and read the whole passage. Jesus said to his disciples, a rich man had a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property. He summoned him and he said, What is this I hear about you? Prepare a full account of your stewardship. You can no longer be my steward. And the steward said to himself, Well, what shall I do? Now that my master is taking the position away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I will do so that when I am removed from this job, they will welcome me into their homes. He called me, he called in his master's debtors one by one. To the first, he said, how much do you owe? He replied, 100 measures of oil. He said to him, here is your note. Sit down and quickly write one for 50. Then to another, the steward said, And you, how much do you owe? He replied, One hundred cores of wheat. The steward said to him, Here is your note. Write one for eighty. And the master commended that dishonest steward for acting prudently. Now, doesn't that confuse all of us? The children of this world are often more prudent in dealing with their own kind than are the children of light, which is what we're supposed to be. Haven't you met people who are just common sense and real, and they sort of outdo us? I tell you, make friends for yourself with dishonest wealth. Oh God, that sounds like he's encouraging sin. (laughs) This is a very problematic text. So that when it fails you, because it will fail you, it will, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The person who is trustworthy in very small matters is also trustworthy in great. And the person who is dishonest in very small matters 
is also dishonest in great. If, therefore, you are not trustworthy with dishonest wealth, who will trust you with true wealth? If you are not trustworthy with what belongs to another, who will give you what is truly yours? So this is what it comes down to. No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. This is the gospel of the Lord. Wow. There's a lot of problems here, at least for us. Uh, But I bet for most people. Let's start at the end, where he creates what we call a clear dualism between God and what he calls mammon. We don't use that word anymore. Mammon was the god of wealth and money and superficiality and success. And he said, you finally got to make a choice. Now, most of Jesus' teaching is what we call non-dual. You've heard me talk about this in the past, where he'll say, let the weeds and the wheat grow together. He's somewhat doing that here. Or, uh, you know, my father's son shines on the good and the bad. But there's one area where he's absolutely dualistic, either or, is probably the way you would say it. And it's anything having to do with the poor and anything having to do with money. He's just absolute, because he knows what we're going to do. That most of us will serve this God, Mammon. Now, it was even called mammon illness. (laughs) And maybe we all have a different kind of mammon illness. It's basically searching for short-term practical gains. And, And we have to say it. Money does serve or solve our short-term problems. And so we're all eagerly hoarding it, collecting it, multiplying it, saving it. Uh, And after a while, we're preoccupied with it because it serves short-term answers. Now, what I hear him saying in this whole gospel is what would be a long-term answer? And he's saying a long-term answer is to seek relationship over money. I think I most strongly learned this over the years when I was able to preach in Asia and Africa, the Philippines and poor countries where, uh, you know, they don't have insurance like we do. They don't have a 501k like we do. Do you know what their insurance policy is? Their family. They stick together much stronger than we do. 
We really don't need one another and often don't even care about one another. In most poor countries, you have to love and honor your parents. They're, they're all you've got. And the parents have to love and respect the children because they're going to take care of them in their old age. It's all the bonding of these relationships that are your 501k. Is that the right word? I think it is. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so once you know that the real security system is how you relate, how you love, these, he says, are the eternal dwellings that last forever. Now what's mammon illness? Mammon illness is attained when you think all of life, and we've all been infected by it, is counting, weighing, measuring, deserving. We all think that way. This much money gets us this much whatever. And we go to places that have sales, so we don't have to give so much and can get the same thing. My mother spent much of her years cutting coupons to save 10 cents. <laughs> and that was good, I guess, but she was still counting, weighing, measuring. It's very hard to get rid of that addiction. And, and uh, often we start doing it as soon as another person approaches us. What can she give me? What can I get out of him? How can I get this for cheaper? That's mammon illness. To enter into the kingdom of God, you have to stop counting. You have to stop weighing you have to stop measuring, you have to stop deserving, and you have to just let the flow of forgiveness and love flow through you. Now that's a high-level conversion, I admit. I don't think any of us start there. But we learn it from the way God loves us. Now I think I've done this here in past weeks, but I'm going to do it again. In fact, I'm going to do it regularly, I think. And we're going to see if you've learned the right answer. Because I'm going to ask you for the answer. What's one half of infinity? infinity. Very good. All right. What's one fourth of infinity? infinity. What's one hundredth of infinity? See, that's the love of God. It can't be doled out by any process whatsoever. You can't earn it. You can't lose it. And as long as you stay in this world of earning and losing and weighing and measuring, not only will you cut yourself short, but you'll expect the same of everybody else. You'll start counting, well, she isn't very good. He doesn't come to Mass every Sunday. She's not Catholic. He's gay. 
she's black. It never stops. It never stops. It never stops. It's the only game in town anymore. Who's worthy? But once you, you dive into the ocean of infinite love, infinite forgiveness, the game is over. Now first, you have to let that infinite love flow into you and through you toward others. It's so much happier to stop counting. But I have to admit, I'm still a child of my mother, internally cutting coupons. <laughs> How can I get a better deal? How can I get a better bargain? How can I save money? It's no good. It creates a worldview that we call a worldview of scarcity. Because once you start counting, there's never enough. Never enough. The kingdom of God is a worldview of abundance. And it's God who has to lift us up and take us from a worldview of scarcity, which is all about measuring and weighing, into a world of abundance, which is infinity. What's one half of infinity? What's one fourth of infinity? You got the lesson. Now let God get you there.